The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 23 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, Peter, have you had any summer vacation yet? Uh, no, I haven't, actually. It's a couple of weeks until I, I get about a month off, so I'm looking forward to that. But I've, I've spent some time outside in the sun anyways. So, I've, yeah, so far so good. How about you? Uh, I am halfway through my uh, my four weeks of, uh, of summer vacation, so so far it's it's been a lot of um, of doing various touristy things in uh, in the local area, and then a quick trip to um, to uh, the the neighboring island of uh, Fyn, where I visited a very very interesting cool castle, uh, as well as Dracula's crypt, which is a story unto itself. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's um, there's there's this really really cool lake castle uh, on Fyn Island, uh, which has been turned into not really a theme park, but like you can go uh, onto the castle grounds, and they have small museums there. And they also had something called Dracula's Crypt, which was rather boring because it was a boilerplate um, information about uh, Vlad Tepes, and then you walk down a dark corridor, and then there was this plastic or wax figure in a stone coffin thing um so no hiding around looking to entertain you then no i'm fairly certain that any tzmish who saw that would just go into torpor from shame (laughs) the castle itself awesome though um because they they had collections of a lot of things including a lot of really cool sub-saharan weapons um and the world's largest dollhouse which was one of the main reasons why we went to that castle, uh, Titania's Palace, a dollhouse that took 15 years to build Ooh, uh, wow. back in the Victorian age. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking the girl that it was being built for when it was finished would, would probably have gone, Dad, I'm not playing with dolls anymore. <laughs> so, okay, so so the castle wasn't the actual dollhouse then, because that would be pretty no, no. cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, the castle is, uh, I think it's the world's largest lake castle. It's built on oak... Um, piles driven into the lake bed and then built on top of it so that was uh that was a really cool thing um but speaking of ancient castles i don't know if that's a good enough transitions but we're we're going to talk about something medieval here yeah um the the book we're looking at today is libellus sanguinis 4 the last of the libellus sanguinis books written by uh, deirdre m brooks joshua mosquera and lucian solban and developed by philip abul and richard e dansky as always we start with the first thing we see, which is the cover. Uh, and when we went back to the first Libella Sanguinis book, one of the things that, that we talked about was that we couldn't tell who was supposed to be who among the clans. This one, it's a lot uh, more obvious. And I won't say the cover is especially bad. It's certainly better than most of the door, but it's just kind of bland in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There's, <clears throat> there's, there's nothing that really says anything interesting at all. It's... Uh, again, you have a member of each of the clans, and and yeah, you can tell which one is supposed to be the Nosferatu because it's it's slightly 
uglier than the other two. Uh, and it's all kind of a, a caricature style of, of artwork. Uh, I, I kind of get to feel, you, you know, when you go to the really touristy places and, and you have like sidewalk artists who, mm, who draw yeah. you, but in, as a caricature of yourself, that's, that's kind of the feel that I get from at least two of these uh, characters. Uh, but but more importantly, what I find just very un- uninteresting is is the fact that there's nothing really that says Dark Ages about no. any of of the people or anything of the cover. So yeah, it's it's just a bit bland and boring, really. Well, I mean, they did slap on the um, the standard Middle Ages color filter on the cover, yeah, because it's all brown. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> it's if if if. People, you know, think back to a lot of, of stuff that's supposed to happen in the Middle Ages in movies and TV shows. They, there's usually some kind of brown filter going on. Yeah. Um, as for the interior art, I like that a lot. Uh, there aren't any pieces that really blow me away, but I think it's all very fitting and it sets the mood. There's no real gratuitous or silly pictures, which is kind of nice. There's not a lot of weapons and armor but most of it is good, especially the Wrathful Angel on page 43. Uh, his arming sword, his kite shield, his mail armor is pretty much spot on. Yeah, He's missing uh, the, the flap that can cover the lower part of your face, but it's very rare to see that in, uh, in art. Sadly, the Nosferatu chapter kind of spoils it a bit because you've got a guy with like a weird, hugely oversized axe and another guy who has a very nice shield, but too much plate and a two-handed hammer that looks more like a tool than a weapon. Yeah, yeah. There, I noticed quite a few of these Conan the Barbarian axes as well. Uh, also on on page, let me just make sure that I'm giving you the one, right one. On on page forty-one, you have uh, the court messenger, uh, who is a very buxom lady, who again looks more like like a wench at the Ren Fair. Nothing wrong with that, but not really historical. Um, and and she's on on her equipment. It says that she's supposed to have a horse, a sword, a lute, and letters from canines. Uh, and she's for some reason she has a liar. And that's, yeah, that's I made a note little... of that as well. Yeah, so... yeah, ex- exactly. That, and, that and I don't know liar. if I, like I don't know if it's supposed to be a visual pun that that the Ravnos is supposed to have a liar um, because they're traditionally liars but again it's it's not a loot so don't tell yeah. us that it, it's Though supposed to be a loot and they both both a loot and a liar were uh medieval instruments so there's nothing wrong there it's just yeah lo- loots were a bit <laughs> later though they, they're a bit more advanced depending on on what you actually consider a loot but but yeah it's, it's oh, yeah, just weird true. it's just weird that they say that she's supposed to have a, a loot and then she doesn't uh, yeah it should be an easy um, thing to fix yeah, I recognize a lot of these uh, pictures when I was looking through it uh, from the Dark Ages art packs on the Storytellers Vault. So uh, a lot of the pictures that are in here are pictures that I've used a lot in the books that I've written for the Storytellers Vault because there are some really great pictures for just depicting travel and generic scenery and stuff like that. So for, for that purpose, I really love these pictures. Um, so... Oh, or did you have anything no, more you wanted no, to say about them? No, I was them? just saying that it's uh, considering how how long this book is, it's there's really not that much artwork, which I think is a kind of a missed opportunity because, as you mentioned, there are quite a few evocative and interesting pictures, kind of setting the mood and, and showing travel and stuff like that, which is always yeah. interesting. But like, I wouldn't mind a few more spreads. Uh, it, 
there are there are some there is actually a liar on page nine uh, alongside a very booksome lady which is i don't know it's it's it feels weird that there are so many buxom ladies in in this uh, book but again doesn't really matter but but i wouldn't mind actually a few more uh, especially more artwork on on nosferatu to so that so that you can get a bit of variation in in how nosferatu looks because i know both as a, as a as a storyteller and as a player you you kind of need inspiration because otherwise they're just going to end up all looking the same uh, yeah, yeah. There's a tendency to just basically go with the Orlok look from yeah. uh, the Nosferatu movie, <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, while, while that's fine. Yeah, exactly. And and um, I, we might get into that more when we get to the Nosferatu mm. chapter. But I think one of the interesting things about a Nosferatu is imagining. But what is it that that makes them ugly? What what look is yeah. it that that makes them this horrifying, inhuman monster? Mm. Um, other than just the, the classic bald, pointy teeth, pointy ears thing. Yeah. Um, the introduction to the book is just one page, page, and it's the same as it's always been in the Libella Sanguinis books, so I don't think we need to discuss that. Um, each of the three chapters start with a three-page story, and in each case, the story bleeds directly into the chapter. Um, so that's something they've really thought about here, is that each intro story has to merge with with the um, the first half of, of the chapter, mm. uh, since the first part of each chapter is written in character. I think the merging of the intro story and the chapter, it's done with varying success. I like the Ravnos one, the Malkavian one is okay, but I feel like the Nosferatu intro story, it, it just seems like like it's it's part of the chapter. So it's like, why, why did they make a cut there? Um, yeah. Because it feels like it, the, the, the chapter is just continuing the intro story. Um, so I think there ought to be a bit of a disconnect between the intro story and then the chapter. Otherwise, why make them separate bits? But I, I don't know if, if that's just me or... Yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean. I, I, uh, I don't know if, if it's such a big issue for, for me, but I, I see your point, definitely. Uh, mm. and, and again, we have this... Everything is, is written in character and from the perspective of... Uh, of a member of, of each clan and 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 we talked about this before that it it's it's a bit hidden miss or it can be a bit hidden miss uh, and in I, I agree with you that in most cases and this it's it's pretty it's a hit uh, but but again it's you you can usually use um, the the space you have and the amount of of uh, pages better if you don't write in character if you if you get like more um more more of like like a, a factual textbook kind of text uh, especially since we're dealing with the three clans that are probably like the most unreliable narrators <laughs> you, you can have except for perhaps the bali uh so so it's you, you kind of get a perspective on on each of these clans and you do, you do get a little bit from from other perspectives as well but i don't know when when i was reading this I, w I was thinking like okay so so is this how the clans actually are or is this how this particular member of of this clan thinks it is or wants it to be or is this the image that he wants to portray to uh, to the outside like is it is it clan propaganda and 
and and and of course as a storyteller you can choose but it it would be kind of interesting especially since uh, vampire the masquerade and dark ages and the whole world of darkness is so heavy on the meta plot so yeah do we know for sure that this is actually fact or is it just uh, uh sneaky ravnos or deranged malkavian who who claims it to be yeah and also i mean like you said, storytellers can make their own decisions, but what I really like to have is a common frame of reference. Yeah. Because otherwise you might find stories grinding to a halt because a player says, well, I made the choices that I made because I believed that these things were true about the clan. And then the storyteller has to say, no, 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 no that, that's not how yeah. it happens. And yeah. then you, you get into it, not not an argument, but a discussion. Yeah, but this book says, yes, but that book is not actually, <clears throat> that, that's yeah. just the opinions of the, the narrator. And then you end up with a game grinding to a halt and maybe even you maybe even have to redo something because you don't have the common frame of reference. Yeah. So yeah, I prefer starting with the common frame of reference and then the storyteller can say, I'm changing stuff from what you normally know just be aware that things are a bit different in my game like this so that you can make your choices based off the knowledge that some things have changed mm. but uh yeah um <laughs> so we start with the Ravnos yeah and right away I will say this is what we've been waiting for this chapter removes the quote-unquote gypsy yeah. stereotype it plays the Ravnos in Europe before the arrival of the Roma. It discusses uh, the Roma and the Ravnos that remain in India. It adds some much-needed non-European lore and flavor to the clan and so on and so forth. I mean, really, my biggest complaint here is that uh, this is what we should have had in the core book. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first part of the chapter, which is to told in character, tells us about the Western Ravnos and their various groupings called castes, or I don't know if it's supposed to be pronounced Yati or Yati, I think Yati, mm -hmm. um, how they differ from the Eastern Ravnos and their Yati and how the Roma Ravnos differ from them. It's very well written and, as I said, it's very necessary. In fact, it does seem in in many cases a bit pedantic, like the text is talking to the, the players, um, telling them that the quote-unquote gypsy stereotype is out uh, and telling them that chemistry is just is not just a fun toy to prank others with yeah, um, yeah. and it, it might have been a bit more subtle here because like sometimes like I said it feels like whoever wrote this had some experiences with people playing Ravnos <laughs> and basically wanted to tell their players alright look this this is not how it is um, we also get good sections on traveling as a vampire especially a vampire yeah. without um protein some advice on how to portray the ravnos clan flaw which is nice and a look at the eastern part of the clan's creation myth uh, and i'm not that well versed in hindu mythology so i can't really comment on how well this integrates with hindu mythology from what little i know it it looks like uh, you know as as well as um european uh, canite law integrates with with christianity uh, so if any of our listeners know more, let us know. Yeah. Uh, so we, we end with the standard opinions on clans, though in this case, we get both uh, a Western and an Eastern perspective, which is good. So all in all, I really like this first part of the chapter. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, start, starting, or I'm probably going to jump around as I usually do. Like, <laughs> you, you, well, you, you mentioned the, uh, the traveling advice, and I, I, I really liked it. It's, it's almost like, like a like a like a practical travel guide for 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 the ravnos or basically for anyone and and i like that it's actually 
it, you you get like hands-on advice like yeah it's it's a good thing if you have a covered wagon uh, but don't build it too heavy because then the then the horses won't be able to drag it it would probably be oxen unless you're really rich but again yeah uh, but but also the fact that they they kind of mentioned that yeah don't don't sleep in a coffin during the day or, or avoid anything coffin or sarcophagus shape because that's going to raise attention if you if you have a bunch of barrels or or just large boxes that's that's probably not going to uh, arouse suspicion but but if you you're traveling around or rather your ghouls or or mortal uh, servants travel around with a bunch of uh, of coffins in the back of a covered wagon people are going to wonder about that so so avoid yeah. that so so that's that's again now now that you mention it it kind of feels like a player has done that and someone wants to uh, avoid it um but but yeah it's um i i also like, like you mentioned the fact that the that the ravnos are are so varied uh, and that they have this you get his strong connection to uh, to the eastern or to to India and and to the east, uh, which again I really like because and, and I've talked about this before. Like there's there's really no reason why uh, the vampires or canines should only hang around in in basic Western Europe and and uh, the Middle East. Like you you could have it. It only takes one elder traveling somewhere and they could start up an entire bloodline or society wherever they end up uh, if they survive long enough so um, yeah so yeah I, I really like that you get this mix and, and that there is not just the Ravnos came with the Roma in in when, whatever century but you have them traveling back and forth and and there's like different waves and they have kind of a, a culture clash between them like okay yeah now we have this new wave of, of Ancilla neonates and they behave differently from uh, from us and how do we deal with this because we we kind of have a system that works in Europe so how is this going to influence us uh, so so that's that's another way uh, another thing I liked and um, I I also like the fact that they talk about uh, castes and and also outcasts uh, mm. which which ties very nicely into at least what I know about Indian in Indian culture uh, in a way that makes sense, because if if that's where they lived, uh, they should have uh, been influenced by the culture they live in. So so it's it's a nice nice touch um, that that they include kind of like real world culture. Um, and and finally about chemistry, when when they talk about that, like you said, it's it's not just fun and games and and making up um, like illusions. Uh, you you actually have to pretty much experience or have experienced the thing that you conjure using chemistry, which kind of makes it a nightmare not only to the victim but to the Ravnos using it in, uh, themselves. And and I really like that 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 they kind of again if if we want to have uh, a game about angst and darkness and and gothic or pre-gothic horror. Then this is a really good way to to kind of like yeah you you do uh, have the ability to make someone think that their own flesh is is slowly burning because you've had that experience yourself and you don't like it. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's the thing about chemistry is, I think at this point there was a lot of players who just took it for uh, illusion spells from yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, which it isn't. It, it you ca- you create illusions, but but you have to ima- like you said imagine and have experience of what you create. So for example, if you create let's say a wolf mm. um, in order to affect other wolves, then that's not going to work unless you know how a wolf smells more than normal human scent can. So unless you have auspex and you have specifically activated the smell portion of auspex near a wolf, then that wolf's going to smell wrong, which is not going to be a problem if you create a wolf around humans, but it is going to be a problem if you create a wolf around wolves yeah. or werewolves. Yeah. So so it's it's very... I think it's important to remember these things, not necessarily because you say, oh, I want to limit chemistry because it's too powerful, but just to get... <sighs> Realism is perhaps a bad word to to use when we're dealing with vampires, but it's still, you want some kind of internal consistency. Yeah, I think exactly. this is it. Yeah, a level of you know, credibility. And and yeah, I agree with that. And, and they do mention it. And I, I kind of got, got some... Kind of like mage vibes that that they mentioned that if you're if you're going to conjure a sword, just make it a sword and not a, a flaming magical sword of, of heavenly fury or something like that, because it's it's gonna be more difficult and more easy to to see through. Uh, and and I think in in the modernite clan novels, you you have the character of of Khalil Ravana, I think his name is. Yeah, and, and, something like that. And he uses he he uses uh, chemistry like very subtle um, in in a few uh, on a few occasions. And and one of my favorites is when he's he's paying a taxi cab uh, or a taxi cab driver uh, by just uh, ripping out a piece of a page from a from a phone book because. This was back when phone books were a thing, uh, and and he just he, he just makes it looks like a twenty dollar bill and says keep the change, and and that's such a such an easy thing to do, and 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 also kind of an asshole thing to do to rip off this poor uh, cab driver. But but again, that's like if you're if you're going to use chemistry casually, that's the kind of thing that that works and doesn't ruin the mood, uh, and and kind of fit the setting. So like hand someone a like like show them uh, a a uh, a coin purse and when you open it up it looks like it's full of silver coins uh, and you throw you close it up and you throw it to them and it it has the weight but in in reality you just put a bunch of dirt or or pebbles or whatever into it but they they can still think that it's actual money instead of like yeah look behind you I've conjured a pile of gold because that's kind of silly and doesn't really fit the vampire set. yeah exactly if you if you go up to someone and and you've taken some pebbles and you've used chemistry to make them look like gemstones mm. in the Middle Ages people are gonna go like what mm. but like you say if you open a purse and it's it's a small one but they can see all right that's filled with silver close it up throw it to them yeah that is the perfect way to uh, to do it a uh, very very cool idea there um, so the second part is as usual about the game mechanics stuff starting with some more explanation about chemistry which is nice you know it's it's one of the more complex disciplines so so I think it's nice that they spend some time trying to make sure that people understand what it can and cannot do and 
good ways to use it because otherwise it it can be a bit of a mess and it can end up in I think a lot of discussions between the player and the game master because it has such broad applications. Yeah. Uh, we then have new combo disciplines, all of which are very appropriate and make sense for how the Ravnos are presented, and two new level 6 powers. And one of these, Horrid Blade, is one of my absolute favorite powers. Um, I made sure to include it in the uh, Low Clans book for the second edition, and it also made its way into the um, the third edition of the Dark Ages book because it's just... I think it's a really, really cool power. You know, you can make a weapon uh, using your illusion powers, but yeah. it has enough reality that it actually does aggravated damage. Yeah. Um, and it it, it it ties into the idea that the Ravnos are supposed to be fighting demons. So you can make this, this weapon. You can never be disarmed because you always have the power to make this weapon. So it uh, it, it fits with what we've been told about the Eastern Ravnos. Yeah, and and it's, it's a really powerful um, ability or, or uh, discipline power. But again, it's... It's level six, so you're gonna be quite a powerful uh, vampire anyway. So, but but yeah, I like them. It's uh, I also like the the truth essence, which is also a, a level six power, which is basically you can see through illusions and uh, and and obfuscate and and stuff like that. So, um, which it's it's basically dispel magic, but 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 in a vampire. Dispel illusions. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I I think it's it it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting spin on uh, on chemistry in in that it's it's not all about creating illusions and uh, and fantasies, but also kind of showing that you have power over them so that you can expose them for what they are. And and again, it goes kind of goes back to uh, how you use chemistry in your game. That it's that it's not only something to, like you said, use use it as as D and D illusion magic, but it's it's something more than than that. Um, yeah, it reveals a deeper understanding of reality, which ties in very well to the uh, to the Hindu mm. um, yeah. roots of the Eastern. Ravnos is that that you know reality is an illusion, and since you can control real uh, illusions, you have a greater grasp of reality yeah. uh, and and all that sort of thing. Uh, finally, we have the Eastern Road of Paradox, which, as uh, is mentioned, is is rooted in Hinduism, and a new look at the Western Road, both of which are really good at making the Ravnos interesting and playable. Um, we also have a new background alternate identity and. With most, as with most new backgrounds, I kind of find this a bit redundant. You know, you've established a, an alternate identity as a member of another clan. It's like it it could be done with with just role playing or maybe maybe a merit or something like that. I don't think it needs to be a background. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I I agree. But on on the other hand, it it can be uh, it can be a useful tool to kind of show that yeah, but how how good is my background really? And then you kind of have like. Okay, how many freebie points did you spend on it? Okay, yeah, so oh, you yeah. can basically get away with this. But but yeah, I, I agree that you could probably just do it through role playing, but if if you want something quick and easy, then it's it's a good tool, I think. Oh yeah, that that is that is true. Um, and then finally, you know, when with four sample characters and uh, and some lore, uh, and it's it's here that we have the uh, the sample character. 
that uh, that is mentioned having a loot but having a, a liar. Yeah. Uh, but that's really the only thing yeah, I have to say about the, this. It's this that section. damn Ravnos liar. Yeah, uh, because you know people know what what um, um, what sample characters are all about. Yeah. Uh, and in general, you know, whenever they make sample characters, I think they they do a good job of presenting interesting characters, some that really match up, and some that might. Uh, um, sort of challenge your perceptions of the clan. So, in general, my attitude is: if I don't say anything, I think they've done a good job. Yeah. I haven't checked whether the dots match up <laughs> with uh, character creation. I know that that was a problem for them for a long time. Um, like there were some clan books where they had one, maybe two uh, sample characters where where the dots matched up. But that's a uh, that's yeah. not something we need to to bother. I'm I'm just um, curious. I'm just cur curious. Because I've I've never played, or and and they're not really supposed to be that, uh, to be used that like that. But I've I've never really seen a sample character and and thought that ooh I I want to play that. So I'm I'm kind of curious. Has anyone of our listeners actually kind of seen a a an example character or, or an example concept and thought like yeah I really want to play that? Uh, I actually have. I've oh. never done it, but. I recall in one of the Toreador clan books, and I think it might have been the first one, there was a martial artist. Mm. And I just thought that concept was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've included that in at least one LARP that I played, where there was a, a Toreador who was a martial artist. And I think it is in the, in the Cappadocian clan book that one of the things that they have as a sample character is a warrior probably a crusader who who had seen so much death that he was embraced Cappadocian and once again it's not something that I've played but it's something that I include whenever in dark oh, ages yeah. I I write I write a large number of, of characters or whenever I do a, a LARP there's usually always a, a Cappadocian uh, warrior type who has seen a lot of death and thus been embraced Cappadocian <laughs> okay. because it just it just breaks so very well with yeah. the idea of them being scholarly types and it makes sense because yes someone who's been in battle will have experienced probably more death than a doctor has yeah probably i'm um, for some reasoning for some reason i'm i'm just imagining the the old crusader dude from from indiana jones and the last crusade <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why. That's, uh, that's just the image that I get. But but yeah, that's that's a really good point. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so we move on to the Nosferatu chapter, uh, and in the first section of this, we get our requisite vampires in monasteries. So yeah. it's it's good to get out of that out of the way. We uh, we we need that. Uh, the first part of the chapter, the one that's talking about the clan in character, uh, for me it was really up and down. Mm. Some sections of it felt uh, dull, but then some really cool ideas came along. I love the various broods of Nosferatu with their similar deformities. And I absolutely love the larvae brood, the ones that are moving underground, basically having strong teeth that allow them to gnaw tunnels. And the um, narrator of the chapter talking about how they might be disappearing because they're digging deeper and deeper. And yes. see, that is an amazing story hook. You could have these completely inhuman, even for Nosferatu, creatures suddenly popping up out of nowhere and you can have them disappearing and going down and figuring out, well, what did they find when they dug too deep? Yeah. Things like that. Uh, um, the fa 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just because uh, I, I find it quite interesting because one of the things that I really didn't like was the, the digging the so-called larva Nosferatu that they're just digging around underground because I don't know they just felt so so out of place for for some reason and of course they're supposed to be created by the uh, Tsimich, uh which again I can like yeah if if there are a few of them created by by a Tsimich as a kind of of twisted experiment then then yeah it kind of works but if it's supposed to be something that is is a thing that you can encounter them in in more than one place and that they're actually around and kind of have a society i don't i don't know they, they just feel really weird and and out of place and you could you really can't play one because they're they just have this eat dig and and basically that's all they do uh but but yeah they, it, i don't know it's it's just a weird concept um, yeah, they're definitely something you need to use sparingly. Yeah. It's not like, oh, yeah. there's a ton of them, but I could I could see them as a a thing that is is part of a of a story uh, in order to to really make things creepy and like, what the hell's going yeah, on with they, these things? Yeah, they they really do have the kind of of uh, body horror uh, feel to them. So so yeah, if if you run a game and you want a creepy encounter, then. Uh, or, or like uh, the the big bad Timish um, antagonist has turned one of the uh, perhaps not the player characters, but one of the NPCs or an ally or something into one of these uh, horrifying creatures just to show how how evil and alien they are. Then, then yeah, that that could work. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you. Like having them as a, a major brood and and the default sort of Nosferatu type in in their area that that is too much it's it it's once again you have to, if, if something has to be scary you have to conserve it it has to be in limited amount yeah i i did like the the other the the volsi nosferatu which is basically supposed to be this this uh bog which is uh hiding in in swamps and bogs and and rivers uh, and and living there until the point that that they basically get covered in in moss and uh, another kind of kinds of greenery and and again like you could have the volsi like like in in this swamp in this forest there there lives the volsi and it's it's an ancient um nosferatu kind of like the one oh what, what was her the the, the salt mine Baba Yaga? no no uh Gutke. yeah Gutke, Gutke, the salt yeah mine. exactly so so can kind of have something like that but but in a more uh, rural or, or sylvan environment that that you have this this bog creature. Uh, I, I really like the the kind of idea about that. And and the good thing about it is that you can it, it fits in in Irish mythology. It, it fits in in um, Norse mythology uh, or, or folklore. Uh, and and it can fit pretty much wherever uh, you have bogs and swamps because there's when you have those kinds of environments, you do have um, or you tend to have uh, folklore and and myths about creatures living there. So so it's a it's a cool evocative image, I think. Yeah, um, I also when we're talking about Storyhook, uh, I like uh, the story about the fair Yima, um, an Osiratu who might be immune to the clan cur- uh, curse. Yeah, it's also a really nice tie into non-Western mythology, and I like when when books uh, begin to, to 
pull in mythology from somewhere other than than Christian yeah. uh, Europe, just because, like you've said so many times, vampires shouldn't be limited to just that area. So let yeah. us get some uh, some some tie-ins with with mythology from other places. Mm. Uh, I also like that we get a mention of the Nosferatu of the Mus- Muslim world called the Hajj, uh, yeah. because this this ties in very neatly with uh, the Veil of Night book, which we'll be covering uh, very soon. So it's like, okay, we're, we can see that they've been working on that and, and now they're starting to to take the ideas from from that. Uh, and I, I really love that book, so, uh, so it was nice to see that. Mm. One note here, uh, they mentioned Spain a couple of times in character, and that's anachronistic yeah. because at this point Spain doesn't exist. The word Spain doesn't exist. You had a number of different... Um, a number of different kingdoms on the peninsula, and it was called Iberia uh, among Westerners and Al-Andalus in the Muslim world. So depending on whether you were Christian or Muslim, that's what you'd be calling it. Yeah, and, and large parts of, of what is now modern-day Spain and, and Portugal were still uh, ruled by by the Muslims, so most of the southern parts. And, and this was the, the Reconquista had started, but you would still have a, another couple of hundred years until uh, Spain was <laughs> reconquisted. Uh, so, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I noticed that as well. I think that that it's a bit weird that they mentioned Spain in character. Um, but yeah, my, my take is on the first part of this chapter is that it has some dull sections and some really cool story hooks. So it's it's a bit up and down, like I said. Mm, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's in this section, but uh, it might be the the second one. But but I I do like when they talk about how um, kind of uh, how how the Nosferatu uh, gather their information, and it's like yeah, it's it's usually no, not a good idea to uh, to try to spy on the prince or the, the mortal king or whatever because they're going yeah. they're going to be used for it so so go for the servants go for the people that you actually can influence uh, and and it reminds me of uh, of a story I read about uh, what the British would do in in North Africa during World War II uh, to to interrogate uh, German prisoners because the the German prisoners were uh, especially the officers were were quite good at at uh, yeah I'm not answering the questions and and just stonewalling <laughs> the interrogators. Uh, so so what the the Brits would do would um, at least and it, it happened was that they would they would stand a, a prisoner outside of a building and like yeah just just wait here until uh, until it's your turn to be interrogated and and the prisoner being. Uh, um, a, proper German would probably not try to run away or escape or anything, but he would stand there waiting for his turn. Uh, and of course, this being North Africa, it would be hot as hell and and he would get thirsty, uh, but he would still have to stand there for a while. And then uh, as uh, just by happenstance, um, a, a British soldier would come by with uh, with like a bunch of canteens of water and like, oh, you, you look really thirsty. Do you want some water? And and a polite German would, of course, like, yeah, sure, why not? Thank you very much. And and oh, you're so friendly, bringing bringing me water. Uh, and and then they would just start small talking about like, okay, so yeah, so you're a prisoner, cool. Where where were you captured? Oh, okay, so there. So so were were you with the Panzers or is I no 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 I was with the infantry. And and so they would <laughs> they would just basically small talk their way to 
uh, to a lot of information that the the uh, prisoner wouldn't give them if it would have been in a uh, like in a proper interrogation. So so I I always love things like that because history shows that it actually works. Uh, so uh, and and from a modern perspective, like. Um, all, all those things you see on Facebook, where it's like, yeah, your your um, heavy metal name is the name of your favorite color and your first pet or whatever, and it's those things are a really great way for for phishing um, phishing for information to, that can be used to to exploit like uh, try to guess passwords and stuff like that. So so things yeah, like basically that. Basically social hacking. Yeah, exactly. Social hacking. Yeah, and, and it worked back in the medieval times as well. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a very it's a very nice point they make where don't don't use obfuscate and then hide somewhere to observe the prince's mm. court because chances are there there's going to be someone there with more aspects than yeah. you have obfuscate. Yeah. Instead like hang out in the servants' quarters. Yeah. Like you said, because especially in the Middle Ages people didn't notice servants all that much it's it's a it's a trope that has existed for a long time yeah. it's like well nobody noticed servants but it, it existed for a reason because yeah people didn't notice uh servants because they were just a part of the furniture more or yeah less. yeah exactly moving furniture yeah and and you see that in other parts of the world as well that that the the or or one uh, possible source for the classical ninja outfit is is that is is it called kabuki theater where you have the yeah, yeah. The, the darkly dressed stage hands that would you you were supposed to ignore them so you did but at, at certain times they would actually participate in the play and uh, and and everyone would be surprised because it's like what the 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 props are doing stuff they're not supposed to do that and so it's it's very effective um but but yeah, it's yeah. There, there's a lot of interesting uh, things. I, I do have more stuff, but I don't know if we should take that like or. No, nah, yeah. well, uh, I I was about to move on to the game mechanics section. So if you have more to talk about with the uh, with the first part of the Nosferatu section, let's hear it. Well, yeah, there there are uh, two things kind of uh, from from an historical note, uh, and then I'm thinking if we should talk about uh, what what makes someone ugly, but. Uh, they they mentioned homing pigeons as okay so uh, yes go ahead okay my 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 connection just went really weird so could you repeat what you just said yeah I because, was, uh, uh, our listeners have heard it I didn't yeah no I was um, I, I I have a few notes on uh, of historical value and uh, and then if we uh, should talk about um, ugliness and what what makes someone unattractive. Uh, but yeah. they, they mention homing pigeons and homing pigeons as a concept has been known for basically forever. Uh, but at this time in Europe, they weren't really commonly used um, the, in, in the Middle East and, and other parts of the world. They started to become common. Uh, but in in this day and age in uh, in, in Western Europe, they, they weren't really around for for at least a hundred years or so. So that's that's just a small thing. Uh, and the other is that they, when they talk about catacombs, of course, and, and the catacombs of, of Rome, uh, and they also kind of mention it or, or touch upon it in, in Paris. Uh, and the thing is that the the catacombs of Paris, they they were they were built in the in the 
like I think it was around the 1780s or something. So so they're way off. There there was a bunch of um, of of mines uh, basically in modern Paris, but outside of of uh, Paris at this time. But they they weren't really around or weren't really that big. Uh, also uh, until like the late 13th century. So if if you're going to uh, have uh, or or if you want like the, the sprawling catacombs in Paris, they weren't really around at the time of of eleven ninety seven. So uh, so you kind of have to make something up or, or change history around. Uh, ju- just as a side note, if if anyone cares about that. But again, we're we're doing this for historicity, so. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, um, that's, that's just one of the f- a few other things I noticed. Yeah, but you yeah, um, and I mean, I one thing that I really like here is is the 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 whole, you know, looking at how how you spy and then the various brutes. Mm. Um, so so we we move on to the uh, to the game mechanics next, uh, and that section gives us uh, a new nature, demeanor, and hunter, and a new background in couriers. Uh, once again, I feel like the backgrounds could have been covered by other backgrounds. Maybe a merit. Uh, it, it's not really needed. The nature. I mean, I, I'm. I don't mind that they're giving new nature demeanors. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's it's needed, but it's not like I think uh, you know we should. Uh, they, it can be covered by other things. So uh, no sp- specific ideas here. The discipline powers mostly feel really appropriate. Yeah, and they mesh very well with how the clan is portrayed especially the gap of ages yeah. powers, which basically gives animals a genetic memory yeah. of a Nosferatu. Yeah. That is an amazing idea. So full marks to uh, to those. Yeah. Uh, the manifold guy's power, however, just seems weird. I don't know what the idea with that was. I mean, the, the, it, it, it allows you to make everyone in a certain area look either like you or someone else present. And I'm just like, why? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Well, it it can be useful for intimidation purposes, or or like they mentioned, like if you're being hunted. Uh, so, like, yeah, how, but, but but it's it's a level six power, exactly. and and it's yeah, it's it feels very situational, or or like I I can figure out, I can think of a few uses, like like kind of if. Uh, if if you want if you want to create the illusion of, of you being on more than one place at the same time and stuff like that, but but yeah, but it's very much for a level six power. I think it's just way too situational. Yeah, it's yeah. Way, think- like if if you want to go with like we are legion or something, and and like we we are all the same, and and try to make a point of that. But but yeah, as a level six power, it's yeah. I I don't know, but. I, I do really like the gap of ages, and I and I do I do like the fact that uh, that, that you you mentioned it as well because uh, wh- when you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, I've I've written that down as well. Uh, but <laughs> but it's um, I think you can have some pretty fun with it as well because you can you can do like um, you, you you can give. Some kind of it has to be quite an uh, an easy command because again you're you're commanding animals to do this, which means that uh, you animals aren't really that smart when it comes to things like this. So so you have to be quite specific. 
but but it's also a very appropriate power like if again if if we take the bog hag for example it would make sense that all of the animals in in the area kind of report to her or or do her bidding uh so so yeah you can have a lot of fun with it um and it works not only for um for uh for nosferatu it could be it could work for for Timichi or or uh, Ravnos and Gangrel as well for that matter but yeah it's it's a really cool power yeah uh we we have uh, a few merits and flaws uh, and the two merits we have i think both of them are really cool especially the blood bloat which ba- basically allows you to have more blood in your system than your um your generation allows but at the cost of as the uh, name implies you bloating so you basically suck more blood and it makes you expand and and makes your skin stretch and stuff like that and it just fits the nosferatu so well yeah um yeah if if you want to have a nosferatu that goes against the whole decrepit uh, rotting corpse kind of look you could you could easily have something like this instead and and uh, yeah you're going for the fat bastard look yeah exactly than, and, than and i'm one. thinking the um what's it called the the head honcho of of the of the grail in the preacher comic uh if, oh yeah that guy yeah, yeah uh, i can't remember his name no no I, me neither but uh hopefully our listeners know who we're talking about but but yeah so you kind of have this or, or as you mentioned the fat fat bastard character uh but but this kind of brings me to uh to like what what is ugly and what is repulsive um because yeah, of course, it, it it's it, in some ways it it actually is a bit subjective. You you, you can have like, yeah, the, the rotting corpse I would say is objectively ugly and repulsive. But but at the same time, you have like, um, especially in the nobility, you you have like being obese isn't necessarily uh, a sign of 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 unattractiveness. And in some cultures, it's the opposite. It shows that you have wealth and resources enough to. Uh, to have a, a healthy figure, um, and I'm I'm just going to mention him because I I have the actual stats and I I read about him recently. But but the Swedish king uh, called the who lived in the late 1600s, um, he he was a womanizer and and known as kind of like a dandy and and a fancy pants, uh, but he he also grew incredibly fat uh because he liked drinking and eating um and you you get fat if you do that um and we actually have some of his clothes preserved so we can we can tell what his measurements was um and and he was about uh he was about five six uh and his waistline grew from 43 inches uh when he was in his early 30s to just before he died at age 37 his waistline was 53 inches <laughs> so so he was a big boy yeah so he was a big boy and but again he was still known as kind of like yeah he's he, he's hot stuff uh so so i i don't know do, do you have any like advice or ideas well, on, on what 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 should be considered ugly or or at least unattractive from a nosferatu point of view yeah, I'm th- it's a very good question because, I mean, beauty standards changed. And like you said, there's some things that we can all agree on is 
unattractive, like the rotting corpse, like uh, someone covered in suppurating sores, mm. things like that. But with the with the Nosferatu, I think it is a balance uh, because you could easily end up having designing a Nosferatu who, okay, he looks like this. This is horrifyingly. This 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 must qualify as appearance zero, and basically you're describing a person uh, who could pass for, I mean, appearance one in society, and and you have to be a bit careful with that sort of thing. Saying well, this person is fat, thus uh, thus he is obviously unattractive, and then fat people go uh, gonna go. Oh gee, thanks. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, in our society, in our Western society, uh, being fat is is generally considered a negative um, appearance trait, if I can put it that way. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that someone who is fat is inhumanly ugly. And that's what you have to go for with the Nosferatu. You have to go inhumanly ugly. Um, And it's it's the same thing with, with designing... The, the derangement of a Malkavian, yeah. you kind of have to... You, you can't just go stuck, this is ugly. And it's one of the things that I like when I do Nosferatu NPCs is think, okay, well, how how can I make a somewhat unique uh, yeah. inhuman ugliness? Um, and if possible, tie it into that background. Like I have an, an NPC in an upcoming uh, book, Fall of Akra, who uh, in mortal life was um he 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 was burned and then he died of his uh, wounds 3 days later and so he looks like a a burn victim because he uh, as an osferatu um so that's that's one way of of doing yeah, it basically tying it into something uh, that happened during their life yeah. or someone like uh Celius from Transylvania by Night which we've covered who is this master builder and he looks like he's made of stone so yeah. I, I think that's the key to them, just tying it into something that happened to them or their personality or something like that and <clears throat> avoiding something that can happen to normal people without, uh, you know, I mean, a normal person who is in an industrial accident and has their face torn off will obviously yeah. be hor- horribly looking. But just going, well, they're fat or for that matter, you can have a racist who will say, well, this person is non-white. Yeah. That has yeah. to count for yeah, for exactly. negative yeah, appearance. That, that, Holy that is, crap, no. Yeah, no, no, don't do not do that. And and But but yeah, uh, I, I do like the fact of tying it into uh, to like their, their personality and, and their history and what happened to them. But I, I think that, at least for me, I... You, you, I, and I like the burn victim uh, idea, but but I think that it's it, it feels kind of weird that if if Nosferatu if, or not all of them, but a lot of them has to have some kind of open wounds or or kind of like injuries to to make them repulsive. Yeah. Because again, it 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 kind of becomes or it rather quickly can become a stereotype. Like oh, there there you have the Nosferatu who. Who who's like leaking pus and and uh, dropping um, fingers and stuff because he has leprosy and it's like yeah but but can't we figure out a way to be repulsive but who could also like work in a kitchen like like he doesn't drop pieces of himself or yeah, in, oh, yeah into the stoop if you, yeah. if you kind of get what I mean and 
and and yeah. so yeah, and of course you can use use like scars and and uh, like a very tight skin. But then we kind of get get back to the whole um, just uh, corpse-like appearance, which again kind of can become boring after a while. So it's it's especially because that's kind of the Cappadocian. Shit. Yeah, that's that's also a good point. Um, but. But again, it sometimes you get you, you kind of get the, the the Deadpool paradox in that Deadpool is played by Ryan Reynolds, who's objectively is one of the hottest actors in in uh, Hollywood, and even with his makeup on, it's it's just it's it's still just Ryan Reynolds in in kind of like a a bad skin day makeup so so he like deadpool and i love those movies so it's not a criticism of them but it, it it's kind of hard to turn ryan reynolds into an appearance zero person which deadpool is supposed to be so yeah exactly uh, so it, it, it's it's you have to it's be an creative interesting, I think, with an Osferatu. yeah actually i'd i'd like to um to sort of uh, encourage our listeners if you're on our facebook page mm. give us some examples yeah. from your games or from stuff you've done of uh of what you've done with nosferatu some mm. examples of them being how, how you've done them i can look in in some of the stuff that i've written to see like what i've what i've done with with nosferatu yeah. because it is an interesting uh, interesting point um so we've we've talked quite a bit about this. Uh, so let's let's uh, let's move on. Um, we end we end the, um, uh, this with um, a section on creating the various brutes. We've talked about what merits and flaws you can use to to show these various brutes of Nosferatu and their deformities, which is I think an interesting uh, way to go about it. Yeah. And then we end with the requisite templates and some future lore. Uh, but I think we've touched upon all of this. Uh, I don't. I don't have anything more to say here. No, me neither. It's. I. Uh, yeah. We, we. I think we also mentioned a huge axe that one of them has. So we can just move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we end with a chapter on Malkavians, um, which where the intro story takes place in the city of Prague, and it's mentioned that the the characters running towards the uh, Roman center of the city. But uh, once again, a historical note: uh, Prague was not a Roman city. Yeah. Um, it it was uh, inspired uh, a bit by Roman cities in in its later um, uh, stages uh, when it was being built in the very early Middle Ages, but it was never uh, Roman. Uh, but I really struggled with the first part of this chapter. I don't know if it's because it was about Anatole, which is a character <laughs> I really can't stand. Yeah. But I just didn't think it was very engaging. It didn't give me really any new insights into Clan Malkavian or anything. We do get a very nice reminder that the people in the Middle Ages rarely treated people with mental problems kindly. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't know. What did you have to say about this first part? Yeah, again, Anatole is one of those characters that you you either love him or hate him. And, and the more I... Or, or rather, he's... Like, when he's being written, he's... Or at least for me, he's written really good, or he's just written really meh and and kind of boring and and as you said, I think unengaging because yeah. it's yeah I, I don't know what what is what's going on and and it's not even confusing in a deranging kind of way. So um, and and again we we come to come back to what I touched upon earlier, like everything that we read. Is this what Anatole thinks, or is this what it's supposed to be? Um, I I do like that kind of a, a running theme on 
he he keeps on or the the the, the question that's kept being asked is is why uh, like why why is he doing this and why is K knights the way they are and why why do we do the things we do which yeah can be really interesting but again if if we if we aren't presented with any interesting answers we're just gonna stop caring about it so yeah again hit and miss yeah and Malkavians are the ultimate unreliable narrators yeah. um, so yeah it, it's just I I think a, a an opportunity was missed in the writing of this chapter. One thing that I really think they don't get across is how scary Malkavians are. Yeah. Because people with mental problems are really scary. And if they have the power of vampires, then they're even more scary. And if they have the power to make you insane, they're just mind-blowingly scary. Like, I I remember one uh, one time I was working... um, in a hospital uh, doing cleaning and I had a really good friend who was working in, uh, I won't call it the psych ward, but a place where people with mental problems Mm. um, went and which was, uh, the doors were locked so they couldn't just leave, they had to get permission to leave, but it wasn't like like the the closed psych ward. And from time to time I would head over uh, and meet with him when our shifts were over uh, so we could uh, walk together and um, I was there a couple of times and you know me, I'm a pretty big guy and there was this guy there who was uh, a lot smaller than me um, and I was there twice and he just stood there looking at me. He didn't say anything, Uh, he just looked at me and he was really intimidating. Like, I'm fairly certain that if it got into a physical altercation, I would be a lot stronger than him. Yeah. But at the same time, the way he looked at me, like, I knew... Yeah, it was unsettling. This... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like... Um, and, and the thing is, like, if, if you get into a fight as as a, a, a human being, there are just, like, certain things you usually won't do um, unless unless you're really scary, really scared. But with with him, I didn't know. Like he would, he looked like the kind of guy who, if he suddenly jumped me, he would start biting. He'd start scratching my eyes and stuff like that. Which is something that, when you look at at normal people getting into a fight, that's very rare for that to happen. And that's why, for example, when you teach um, women rape defense, you teach them to bite and to claw because that is rather effective. Yeah. But it's something that humans aren't inherently. Um, set up to do in a fight yeah. and all this circles back to Malkavians have to be portrayed as inherently at least unsettling and in the end very very scary because even if the mental problems that they're struggling with do not make them uh, violent they still have the vampiric powers yeah. and their outlook on reality is different and I don't think this really puts that across. Yeah, I, I think uh, we we should just mention that that we we're not saying that uh, that uh, people with mental health issues are inherently scary or unsettling or anything, but they they can be to yeah, exactly. people who don't understand them. And most of us uh, in in real life have a very difficult time understanding people with at least with certain mental health issues and that's why people study for years to become professionals to to be able to to uh, understand these people and and help them when and uh, or if they need help but but yeah, yeah exactly because it's a, it's a dark it's a dark mirror that i think that's one of the scary things is 
is is you look at these people and you think, oh my god! I mean, obviously it's it's horrifying that 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 you know uh, that they are uh, in a situation where it's problematic for them yeah. to function yeah. in in uh, our society. Yeah. Also because our society is is very much uh, built around um, uh, neurotypical yeah, exactly. behavior. And then then you stand there being someone who fits into a neurotypical society and you look at people who are struggling with mental illness and that alone is frightening. Yeah. At the, at the same time, like I, it's, it's frightening if you see someone who has been horribly injured because you think this could happen to me. Yeah, uh, well, and, and it, it, it doesn't even have to be like that. But as, as you mentioned, that since since our society is is built around uh, neurotypical people and like and, and I've had dealings with with people who like they they're I would to, to simplify it, I would say that they live in a completely different world from from you and I, it's it's like the the things that they claim makes perfect sense to them, and and if if that's what uh, society would be like, then then they wouldn't have a problem because then their yeah. perception of of reality and society would uh, would actually uh, coincide with with actual reality. But but since that's not how our society is, then then that's that's a problem to them or, or that's problematic to them so we have to help them deal with it uh, and and yeah it's it's a very much and and again I, I don't want to sound like prejudiced or, or um, like like we have any kind of, of, of uh, prejudice against uh, these people because most people with mental health um, issues function perfectly well in society and and it's more that and are more likely to be victims yeah, than exactly. abusers. Yeah, exactly. Especially that. Especially that. And more likely to be victims of of crimes or violence or, or abuse than than being the abusers themselves. But it's again, it's it's um, it's difficult for us to understand it. And I think a very good kind of um, example of this is that uh, DC Comics did a bunch of one shots from the perspective uh, of major villains. So you had, like, for example, the, the one that was about Lex Luthor, and it, it was supposed to show how how the villains saw themselves. So you had Poison Ivy was kind of like, I'm doing this to save the environment, and, and Lex Luthor was kind of like, I'm, I'm doing this to protect my society because all of a sudden you have this literal alien Superman who could wipe out all of our society and i'm doing this because of law and order and yeah i'm i'm doing it this for my sake as well but come on we have a literal alien superhero or super person should should we just accept him um and then there was the 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 one shot about the joker and it wasn't from like it, it wasn't written from the joker's perspective but rather one of his henchmen to kind of show that that the Joker was so different from anyone else that that not even the writers themselves could properly portray him from from his point of view because he's, he's just so different and weird and it really came uh, the the fact that it was written from just one of his like you you know that guy with the clown makeup in the background in in one of the comics or that guy <laughs> yeah. it's, it's him. Uh, and it shows how scary and intimidating and and strange 
the Joker was even to one of his henchmen, but he still felt felt kind of compelled that, yeah, but I, I have to follow this guy. I have to go with him. And, and if nothing else, just to see this through, because what else am I going to do? Uh, so, so that kind of portrayal of of call it madness or derangement or whatever, I, I think that's a really good way of, of looking at the Malkavians because none of us can really put ourselves in their shoes being have, or having a derangement of vampiric proportions, if you kind of get my grave. Yeah, exactly, because, I mean, you play a Bruja. I can definitely play someone who has a temper. You play a Toreador. Yes, I can play someone who goes into a reverie uh, when when experiencing something beautiful. Yeah. I mean, put on a Bucks Prelude, um, the one that's that's used in Master, the Master and Commander movies mm-hmm. and a ton of, of commercials. Put that one on, and if nothing else is happening, I will be in a reverie because I think it's the most beautiful piece of music ever written. Um make make me play a Ventrue. Yes, I am myself a picky eater, so playing a vampire who's a picky eater, not a problem. But I don't have any uh, mental problem that reaches what would be called a derangement in the game. Mm. And like the section on game mechanics, it dedicates quite some word count to the Malkavian clan weakness. Yeah. And it includes new derangements and ideas on tying your derangements to certain character traits. And the difficulty with the Malkavian has always been portraying the madness without going overboard and making them completely unplayable yeah. or being silly, you know, the, the fish yeah. milk that you that that is that you see being or being chaotic, stupid, yeah. all those things. <clears throat> I have seen some catastrophically poorly played Malkavians. And I have seen some really well played Malkavians as well, including amusingly the guy who played uh, Anatole when I played the Convention of Thorns LARP. Um, oh, okay. We obviously had someone playing Anatole, yeah. and we had someone playing uh, Luchita. And the guy who played Anatole did it really, really well. Mm. Whereas the way Anatole gets portrayed in the Transylvania Chronicles stories, um, our our characters the first time we played it uh, were discussing just turning him into a duct tape mummy and placing him in a basement somewhere <laughs> and have a shrine sitting ready to to write whenever he sprouted um, yeah. plot relevant prophecy yeah. because. Yeah, so it's that's the problem with with, yeah. with Malkavians is yeah. if you haven't experienced uh, mental problems at the level of the Malkavian clan weakness, then it's really hard to yeah, portray. Yeah, properly, it is, and, and and I think that it's good that they they spend so much time or, or word counts on on it in this book uh, because it's kind of the same with with the Ravnos that that yeah, w- what is your vice and is it just stealing or lying or whatever and and they kind of give you tools to work with i i really do like the fact that that in the ravnos section you you kind of got the vices the christian vices of uh, the seven deadly sins to to mm. to have something to work from because it's it's needed because just as you have the the fish marks you kind of have the the kleptomaniac uh ravnos who's yeah who's always yeah. ruining things as well so, so yeah that's that's something that you do really well in this book i think that that they kind of show us what it is and and also the fact that they they talk about that you don't necessarily have to be like like first of all we should probably or not first of all because we talked for quite a bit but we we should yeah. we should probably um make it clear that that a derangement uh, in in the 
game mechanic sense doesn't have to be a mental 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 uh, health issue or mental illness in the way that we talk about mental health today so so that you you're not just like being being a, a paranoid schizophrenic doesn't necessarily mean that you qualify as as a deranged malkavian but being obsessed with i don't know uh, always uh, gathering left shoes from people you visit might work in a vampire setting because it's it's an obsession from that point of view really bad example yeah. my apologies but but you can <laughs> well yeah and I, I mean for example um the first vampire game i i ever played we had a malkavian and his arrangement was a vindictiveness mm. and most of the time he functioned very well but if he had someone who crossed him or whom he believed had crossed him he became really scary and i think that worked really well because it it didn't it didn't uh, it didn't affect him every, his every waking moment but it was still a, a clan flaw because he could just couldn't let things go yeah and and i i imagine that it's it's a thing that that you can take from zero to a hundred and it doesn't have to be at at 100 all of the time like you you can yeah uh, because when you when you mention vindictiveness i um i wouldn't call him a friend but i i know of a person who um and and he's i would say he's an asshole but like if at least he used to do it, i hope that he doesn't but when when he went out to to like pubs or or bars or or clubs or whatever <laughs> and he uh, or restaurants even and he felt like he he didn't get his money worth or or he felt like the staff were being assholes uh what he would do was he, when he went to the bathroom he would purposefully uh, urinate on the floor just just uh. just as <laughs> as a, a, a like like a not even vengeance but like just like a fuck you and 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 i can imagine like your vindictive malkavian uh not necessarily doing that because vampires can't do it but it's it's a thing that you can take like yeah if if i'm just gonna be a bit annoyed with you i'm i'm just gonna like i don't know steal your socks or whatever but if i'm if i'm really annoyed with you i'm going to kill all your horses or whatever so so if if you have a derangement that you can adapt to the situation then then it's probably better for both you as a player and the rest of the players and the storyteller and the npcs if you can kind of adapt to the situation yeah and i mean so so actually this game mechanics section i think does a lot more for the malkavian clan than the previous uh, in character section yeah and also, I really like, once again, the fact how they mention that in the Middle Ages, there is no such thing as asylums. There's no such yeah. things as therapists. Most of the time, it will be seen as a demonic possession. Yeah. It might be seen as an imbalance of the humors. Uh, if you're very lucky, it could be seen as uh, some kind of divine influence. Yeah. But, but, I mean, look at how people with mental problems were treated, let's say, 40 years ago. That was bad. Then just imagine how they were treated a thousand years ago. Uh, That wasn't very good. And that's, I think, is one of the more important things to get across when you're playing a Dark Ages game is 
as horrifying as it as it is, that was how they were being treated. Yeah, and 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 if you look at even the people who who kind of like were seen as who who had visions and were seen more of, of uh, as saints or prophets, it it could really switch from from you oh look this is a prophet to this is someone this is a sinner who speaks the word of the devil like take Joan of Arc for example yeah. like she she was hailed as a saint because she had these visions and and uh, she she did what she did but then they just basically switched on a dime and and then she was accused of of uh, being a heretic for other reasons as well but but so it's 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 very uncertain for for um someone with uh, with men- mental health issues um in in the middle ages and there there are some like and and this is something that's quite interesting about the medieval societies and and you kind of have what ordinary people think of things and what the church think of things yeah. because often it it it's quite far from each other and it can be the opposite like like the uh you you would probably most people probably wouldn't have any issues going to like the the wise old woman for for a herbal remedy or something like that but the church might have huge issues with it because they could see it as as witchcraft or or heresy and again with with people with mental health issues is that yeah perhaps um this uh, uncle bob is it's is touched by the fae and uh, and and he's he's just just sitting around talking with with his fake friends and doesn't harm anyone, and, yeah. and no one has a problem with that. But then you get an inqui- inquisitor to the village or or a new bishop who's an asshole, and he decides that Uncle Bob is uh, possessed by demons and uh, decide to drill into his skull. Uh, so so you you have. You have the whole scale basically, and and that is something that you can use in your game if you want to, or if you feel that dealing with real mental health issues is isn't something that you want to bring into your game. You can either say that well, this is this isn't really a big of a problem for now in this area, or you could play it that the kind of derangement that Malkavians have doesn't really have anything to do with with real mental health stuff. Yeah, you bring up an incredibly good point. When it comes to Clan Malkavian, I mean, obviously, uh, mental, health, mental health issues is a, a huge um, um, sore area. It, it can be very triggering. It can be very, very hard to deal with. And I think it's very important in a game, if you want to include Malkavians, if you want someone to play Malkavians, things like that, is to have a talk with your players uh, beforehand, because it it can be very triggering um, for for some people. I mean, if you're playing with someone who's struggling with mental health health issues, they might not appreciate them being portrayed in game. They might not. They might uh, feel uncomfortable seeing yeah. how people with mental health issues are treated, or they might. There might be some people who might find it therapeutic. You know, if you're if someone who has problems plays a Malkavian who manages to live 
or unlive yeah. with these problems and whose whose vampiric powers means that they are able to do good things for others who are struggling then that can be therapeutic it's just really important this clan more than any other clan i think it's important that you um that you have a a, a talk yeah with with the group that you're in and obviously i mean you get a, a kind of a a very small sense of that when they talk about the the mental illnesses here but this wasn't something that back when this book was written the whole social contract um exactly. talking yeah. with your players things that are off limit it wasn't really much thought of but i think it's it's very important with with, with malkavians um to uh, to ensure that nobody feels uncomfortable because in the end we're playing this game as a form of entertainment so everyone should be entertained nobody should be thinking this is horrible i don't i don't want to deal with this sort of thing yeah exactly that's a very good point all right um <laughs> so other than than the discussion on the clan weakness we also get some new nature demeanors new discipline powers powers new talents and some merits and flaws other than the awareness talent which later became a central part of the the talents i mean it became uh, a a base talent yeah. on the character sheet uh there weren't really anything that that grabbed me here it, it felt a bit bland and uninspired really yeah i me, I, I agree um, i'm especially looking at the the merits and flaws and and again it's stuff that you could probably do just um with with role playing uh and and doing a few social roles uh i I did get uh, a bit inspired by the the vanishing combination power of of demitation uh, and mm, and obfuscate yeah. that that you can basically um, turn someone into a ghost and and I would probably change the way that it works uh, because it it says that uh, it while vanished the victim is is rendered delirious and can do nothing except babble to herself and seek shelter from the sun. I would probably do something. Uh, which, again, since dementation is supposed to be scary, uh, wh what if for some time you stopped existing for from the rest of the world? Like your your uh, your friends and family and allies, they you uh, they don't know who you are. Uh, they they haven't even heard of you. Uh, they they don't know if you or for them you've never really existed. Uh, and yeah that's scary yeah, and and you're not just sitting around delirious and not experiencing this you go to your wife or to your sire or to your child or to your prince and they're like who the hell is you like what what the fuck are you doing here and and who are you and and why do you treat me like someone uh, i should be familiar with like go away yeah. uh, or i will call the city guards or i will get my brother here and beat your ass uh, I feel that would be a much more interesting and and terrifying uh, thing to inflict upon someone. Yeah. Um, and once again, you know, we end with uh, sample characters and some lore. And I'll say, for me, this chapter was the weakest of the three. It did have some extremely good things yeah. uh, talking about how how people were treated in the Middle Ages, uh, more look at at the weak, uh, the Malkavian clan weakness. But other than that, I, I just didn't feel very inspired by this chapter. No, I, I agree. And it kind of saddens me because I, I do like Malkavians and I, I still want to play my 
Malkavian Crusader who's basically having flashbacks to to the Crusades and and perhaps even like actually experiencing and, and reliving them when when they happen. But uh, mm. but but yeah, it it feels. Yeah, it, there, there's something lacking. I can't really express it in any other way, but it's... it's no, same same here. Yeah. All right, so time to judge this book. Historically, well, there aren't that much mortal history. Uh, there are some hiccups, but also some really good stuff, especially tracing the uh, the Roma uh, yeah. movement into, uh, into the Western world uh, and, once again, reminding people how those with mental illness was treated in the Middle mm. Ages. So... Um, uh, a few, a few minor niggles and and a bit of good stuff, but not that much history, really. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and we touched upon upon the things that that we've commented on already. So, so yeah, that's a good assessment. Yeah, as a game resource, I will say that this book is worth it just for the Ravnos chapter. Mm. Uh, though I think the Nosferatu chapter adds uh, some some cool stuff, especially if you want to make some scary, creepy Nosferatu NPCs. Like I mentioned, I didn't care much for the Malkavian chapter uh, to the point that I don't even think it'll add that much if you're playing a, a Malkavian. Yeah, I I really like this from um, as a game resource because. Um, if if nothing else, it, it it kind of shows uh, what a terrible and terrifying uh, coterie you would have if if you have a group of of Ravnos, Nosferatu, and Malkavian together because they, oh, yeah. they would Ooh. they would wreak havoc and and I think it's quite interesting. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but they thematically they fit very well well together and especially the way that this book is written, because a lot of it has to do with, um, with, with knowledge and information and, uh, and, and not necessarily truth, but what you know and what you think you know. And like we're, we're kind of dispelling the, the old stereotype about the, the, the gypsy uh, Ravnos, for example. And so you have, um, I really do like the fact that they talk about Ravnos knights being on the path of chivalry yeah. because it makes sense. For them to be, uh, and and Ravnos being used as as uh, messengers um, running across Europe between uh, Toreador and Ventru princes, uh, and at the same time you have the the kind of information gathering uh, Nosferatu, and you have the um, visionaries and and seers of the Malkavian, and each of them are basically a different. Uh, aspect or facet of the same thing that if and and i think you could you could really use them as that like for example if um uh, if i was playing a, a nosferatu who was kind of gathering information i would be really interested in knowing what uh, what what the malkavian uh, prophets see in their visions uh, because there might be a kernel of a truth in it and then perhaps i could get in touch with um, with a traveling Ravnos and ask if they've seen anything. So, so you can kind of use um, all of these clans as almost an early warning system. Or, or if if you want to like plant seeds for for things to come, you could you could have uh, a Malkavian madman uh, shouting prophecies in the street, and then you get a report from. 
uh, from a traveling Ravnos and, and you take these and you go to your um, friendly Nosferatu and, and see if they can make anything out of it. So so you have a lot of op- yeah. opportunities to, to build um, some some really cool uh, ideas and, and plot lines, basically, or plot hooks uh, from, from how it's presented. Exactly. So the next book coming up is Veil of Night, which is a big one. So there will be no side quest because we we need time yeah. to read this book and and get it ready. Uh, I'll spoil something already. This is one of my favorite books for the first edition of the Dark Ages line. Um, so we'll we'll see now that I have to uh, get, get into more detail if it still holds up. Uh, following that, well, we're coming up on our one year anniversary actually. Uh, so we really should do a side quest about that after Veil of Night. Yeah, that it sounds like a, a good idea. And if if anyone has uh, any suggestions or ideas or, or requests uh, or demands, even our patrons can demand stuff from us. Uh, let us know in the Facebook or Patreon or, or email. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we have a Patreon you can sign up to. We have a Facebook group where we're both uh, active. That's where we get most of, of our suggestions and stuff from. Uh, so, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, well, well, yeah, I actually do have one small thing, and that is the fact that they mentioned that chemistry doesn't have to be connected to the Fae, uh, which, which means that you don't have to have a crossover to another... Uh, World of Darkness game if you don't want to and I just love that little detail exactly my co- uh, last comment is uh, if you're someone who is struggling with mental health issues we wish you the very best and it is never a sign of weakness to uh, to seek help yeah. uh, So, and so it is goodbye from me Jacob and from me Peter farewell and see you next time bye